What's happening in the world right now coming up on NTD News. First, we bring you our top stories. Republican senators want a special counsel to investigate an alleged Biden family bribery scheme. Meanwhile, Senator Kennedy says the Justice Department is the only entity able to address Americans' doubts at this point. What can you do to protect your money during high inflation and high interest rates? We have tips from a trusted financial information platform. Harvard Medical School is in the spotlight for all the wrong reasons. A former morgue manager there faces charges for stealing and selling human body parts. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin reaffirms Washington's support for Ukraine, and U.S. Air Force officers spoke highly of NATO's ongoing air defense exercise, calling it a daunting one. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Our top news is on the 2024 presidential race. The mayor of Miami is now throwing his hat in the ring for a shot at the White House. Republican Francis Suarez officially launched his campaign with a video today. I have always been a runner. It's the best place to charge my body. The video shows Suarez jogging through Miami, describing his background, visiting his childhood home, and touting his record as mayor. He's set to speak later today at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in California. Suarez, a Cuban-American, is currently in his second term as mayor of Miami. He enters a crowded field of Republican candidates as a decided underdog, with former President Donald Trump and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis way ahead in polling. Republicans keep demanding further investigation into an alleged bribery scheme involving the Biden family. This comes in light of former President Trump's indictment. Senator Kennedy is the latest Republican to call on the FBI to do more to investigate the Bidens. Here are the details. Multiple Republicans want more investigation into an alleged bribery scheme involving the Biden family. Senators Marsha Blackburn, J.D. Vance, Mike Braun, and others sent a letter to Attorney General Merrick Garland this week. They're calling on him to appoint a special counsel to open such an investigation. They're accusing the Department of Justice of having blatantly ignored the credible allegations of President Biden's and his family's corruption. An FBI informant claims that the owner of Ukrainian natural gas firm Burisma Holdings paid $5 million to Hunter Biden and $5 million to another Biden in exchange for certain actions. This week, the FBI handed over a related document Republicans have been demanding to see for the past week. However, the agency redacted certain parts before handing it over. Senator John Kennedy was on Fox News talking about that. We're entitled to see that document. Mm -hmm. First, the FBI said, well, we can't even tell you that it exists. And then they said, you can see it, but it has to be redacted. They won't tell us whether they even investigated the allegations. Kennedy says, unlike some of his colleagues, he won't advocate for abolishing the FBI. According to him, it's a necessary law enforcement agency. However, Kennedy seems to agree with Republicans calling for a special counsel to investigate the alleged bribery scheme. The American people uh, understandably have doubts, and only only Chris Wray and, and, and the attorney general can address those doubts, and you can't find either one of them uh, with a search party. They just the, won't answer. NTD reached out to the Justice Department asking whether they'd appoint a special counsel, but didn't immediately hear back. Under the economy, the Federal Reserve is keeping interest rates the same, but it is hinting at two more possible rate hikes this year. Earlier, I spoke with a former chief economist of the White House's Office of Management and Budget to learn more about this and the inflation report. 
Joining me now is Vance Ginn, president of Ginn Economic Consulting. Vance, it's great to have you with us. Hey, it's a pleasure to be with you today. In your view, why has the Fed decided to hold the Fed rate at about five to five and a quarter percent? Well, so the Federal Reserve has their target federal funds rate, which is the overnight lending rate between banks. They've raised it 10 times in a row over the last, you know, 15, 16 months. And now they're saying, look, let's take a pause. Let's see what's happened over the course of time and, and, and figure out it. Because a lot of these effects are lagged effects on the economy. Inflation is subsiding. It's coming down some. The latest reading for May was 4% year over year. But that's still more than about twice what their average rate of 2% is. So it's still running hot compared to what they like to see. And especially when you think about food and energy and other things, those continue to go up at a pretty rapid rate. Things, you know, that people pay pay money for every day. And so I think what they're going to see is that let's let's do a, a pause here. But I think there's also indication that they made that next month in July at their next meeting that they may raise rates again. Um, and we could see a rate of close to 6% by the end of the year. And of course, Vance, this comes at a time when job gains are strong, unemployment's low, and obviously inflation's high. So how does this all play into that? Well, you know, whenever you look at the headline number, there were over 300,000 jobs that were created on the non-farm jobs um, report. But if you look at the household sector, there were 300,000 jobs that were lost, meaning that some of the tech firms, some of the contract workers, um, they seem to have lost their jobs or, or closed shop. Uh, and so that's an indication that there is more slowdown in the labor market than what's indicated by some of these other top line numbers. What we've also seen is 26 straight months of declining real wages, meaning that wages, average hourly earnings adjusted for inflation has been declining for 26 straight months. And so these are all indications that we have a very slow economy and stagnation overall. And I don't see any you know, uh, relief of that until we get some better fiscal policy, less government spending, running up massive deficits, and also the Federal Reserve reducing their balance sheet. It's not just their, their interest rates that they target, but they actually control their balance sheet, which is their assets and liabilities. Vince, we're hoping for a soft landing. Do you think this is possible? I don't see that that happening. I mean, with the amount of run-up that we had of government spending, the increase in the money supply of the last couple of years, this was a rapid increase. We have seen the money supply come down about 6% year over year. It's the largest decrease since the Great Depression. But the problem was is we also had the largest increase um, you know, on record. It, whenever you look at what happened during COVID and in the last couple of years, a massive increase in, in money supply, which has increased demand compared to supply, leading to higher inflation. And so all these markets have got to clear at some point and that's one reason why you know look they they had a pause in their interest rate but i hope the federal reserve does next is really starts to aggressively cut their balance sheet which is different than what the federal government uses right that's what they're paying for for the military social safety nets social security things of that nature but the federal reserve has its own balance sheet where they go out and buy treasury debt and other things that's really where they need to start cutting because that will help to bring down inflationary pressures across the economy so Vance, when we go back to the annual inflation up at you know a low of four percent in May, year over year, markets didn't really have much of a reaction to this. Futures ticked up a little bit. Treasury yields were down. What do Americans need to know right now? Americans need to know that look, there's a pause on interest rates. Um, this could be a good time to purchase some things, but I would recommend that they also provide personal responsibility and put money in, in a savings account to hold up in case that there is a you know d d downturn, a, a harsher downturn in the second half of this year. And if they have more personal responsibility, I think that'll put them in a, the best situation for whatever's going to hold, because ultimately that's the way to let people prosper. Vance Ginn, president of Ginn Economic Consulting. It's always great having your analysis. Hey, thanks so much. A pleasure to be on with you today.
On this topic, how is the Federal Reserve's interest rate decision impacting regular Americans? And what can you do to protect your money? NTD Business's Don Ma speaks to financial information platform Bankrate.com. And we have here principal U.S. economy reporter Sarah Foster at Bankrate.com. So we had the Fed uh, decision yesterday, and on the website, Bankrate.com, you wrote an article about uh, 11 financial things to do after the decision yesterday. We didn't get a hike. But I, I want some context to that article. Maybe provide us with some backdrop. What's the economy like? What's happening to the consumer? Yeah, well, it's it's a monumentous occasion here at the Fed because they've been hiking rates for 15 months, uh, 10th consecutive rate hikes. They broke that streak yesterday in June, deciding to leave rates in the target range of five to five and a quarter. And so I think, you know, the context, what this means for consumers is that they might maybe be breathing a sigh of relief, but the celebration won't last for long. So what, what's the impact on, on the consumer with this uh, Fed funds rate being at around 5%? Well, that's the highest in nearly 16 years. And so what that's translating to for the consumer is higher borrowing costs. Uh, for 13 weeks, we've really seen credit card rates stay at this record high level. We've also really saw that home equity lines of credit, they're the highest in decades, as well as car loans. Consumers have been dealing with high inflation. Their wages haven't been keeping up with it. But on top of that, we have this new era of inflation, which is brought on by these elevated borrowing costs. And even though the Fed decided not to raise interest rates, those borrowing costs are still going to stay at those levels. And they could even nudge up a little bit higher as we kind of process what happened with the three bank failures earlier this year. And just to put things into perspective, maybe you can give us some examples of the impact on people's wallets. I know you mentioned credit cards just now. Yeah, I think uh, it's really important here for consumers when uh, you kind of look at these borrowing rates, how much they've risen. Since credit card rates are kind of rising to this record high now for so long, what that means for consumers is the, the, the balances that they keep on those credit card rates, that's going to cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars, potentially, depending on how much of a credit card balance they, they carry with them. So I think, you know, the bottom line for consumers is the most important step you can take right now is really making sure that you eliminate that credit card date debt and even other high interest variable rate loans. Anytime the Fed raises rates, you're kind of a sitting duck for pain from those rate hikes. And thankfully, since the Fed didn't raise interest rates, you know, this week, you might have a little bit of time to figure out what to do. But again, the picture doesn't change that much. And so what we really want to show is that it's important to find ways to eliminate those forms of debt. So out of the 11 things, I, I know you mentioned some of them already, but w which one do you think it's the most important? I think going forward, the most important step Americans can take is just making sure that higher rates aren't hurting their wallets because when inflation is already costing you lots of lots more money than it would have before the pandemic, higher interest rates also now are too. So it's just really important to make sure that when you look at those credit card balances, if you're carrying any, find a way to take advantage of a 0% transfer offer with a balance transfer card. And of course, you know, the elephant in the room is that the Fed could cause a recession by all of these interest rate hikes. Another kind of interesting point from the meeting yesterday is that the Fed is expecting the economy to remain resilient. And many uh, Fed officials, including Chair Powell himself, uh, has talked about the hope for a soft landing. 
But of course, if we do enter a recession, as many economists have been forecasting, balance transfer offers could dry up. So essentially what that means is that it's important to take advantage of this now to make sure that you don't miss out on the opportunity later. All right, thank you so much today, Sarah. It was a pleasure speaking to you. Great to be here. All right, and we're continuing with a gruesome tale from Harvard Medical School. A former morgue manager was allegedly stealing and selling human body parts. Cedric Lodge is now facing federal charges. The indictment says Lodge stole heads, brains, skin, and other human remains without the knowledge of the school. He then allegedly conspired with his wife, Denise, to sell the human remains to others. One of the alleged customers was Katrina McLean. She is the owner of a shop called Cat's Creepy Creations in Massachusetts. She allegedly sold the stolen body parts to others from her shop. A man named Joshua Taylor allegedly spent almost $40,000 on body parts. Prosecutors say Taylor sent a $1,000 payment to Denise Lodge with the memo head number seven. Harvard officials said yesterday they were appalled to learn something so disturbing could happen. They called it a betrayal of Harvard Medical School. Just ahead, Starbucks is in the spotlight for a case that began with alleged bias against one race and ended with finding discrimination against another. The Southern Baptist Convention is upholding its expulsion of two churches for having female pastors. We'll have that story for you in just a moment right here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. A federal jury in New Jersey has awarded over $25 million to a former Starbucks manager. The white manager accused the company of firing her as a racial scapegoat. This after the arrest of two black men at a Philadelphia shop. Shannon Phillips worked for Starbucks for 13 years. She sued the coffee chain giant in 2019. She claimed that she had nothing to do with the racially charged incident and believes she was unfairly punished in an attempt to quell public outrage. The incident took place in 2018. Two men were asked to leave the coffee shop after sitting at a table without ordering anything. The two said that they were waiting for a business associate. A store manager called the police on them, and they were later escorted out of the coffee shop in handcuffs. The video of the arrest sparked protests and vandalism. Federal jurors sided with Phillips. They found Starbucks fired her because she was white. Starbucks did not respond to a request for comment on the verdict. The Southern Baptist Convention yesterday upheld its expulsion of two churches for having female pastors at their annual meeting in New Orleans. The two churches were among five expelled by the denomination's executive committee in February for having female pastors. The other three did not appeal. The convention is an association comprised of nearly 50,000 churches and 14 million members. Each church has independent control over its practices and policies, unlike a hierarchical organization such as the Roman Catholic Church. The expulsions reflect a drift among many American evangelicals in recent years, though there are several other Baptist conventions that welcome women to pastors. Many top business leaders are seriously concerned AI could pose an existential threat to humanity in the not-too-distant future. About 120 CEOs were surveyed at the Yale CEO Summit this week. They included the heads of Walmart, Coca-Cola, Xerox, Zoom, 
and of pharmaceutical, media, and manufacturing companies. 34% believe artificial intelligence has the potential to destroy humanity in 10 years, with 8% saying it could happen in five years. And 58% say that could never happen, and they're not worried. In another question, 42% of the CEOs said the potential catastrophe of AI is overstated, and 58% say it's not overstated. The findings come just weeks after dozens of AI industry leaders, academics, and some celebrities signed a statement warning of an extinction risk from AI. In other news, a quiet revolution is in the works against so-called woke corporate America. We hear from a reporter who's been covering this closely to learn about the strategy behind it. Joining us now is Darlene Sanchez, reporter for the Epic Times. Darlene, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me, Kevin. Can you first walk us through how these consumer boycotts are serving as a kryptonite for these companies that adopt these ESG policies? Yes, absolutely. So whenever these um, boycotts started, you know, some years back um, with conservatives, they weren't very um, long and um, they weren't that impactful for these companies. So, I mean, while, you know, the the saying, you know, uh, go woke, go broke, you know, uh, we started to hear that. That really wasn't the case until we got into uh, Bud Light and Target. And that has been a game changer from what I understand. We're talking to, you know, people like Scott Shepard at the uh, National uh, Center for Public Policy. What he was saying is that because they are so um, significant, you know, like 15 uh, billion dollars for Target, you know, around 30 billion for uh, Anheuser-Busch, that that has actually opened up the possibility for lawsuits. Uh, whereas before that wasn't the case, it wasn't, you know, enough to actually for shareholders to sue. Um, and now, you know, apparently we are at that level. So um, I think that in the future, you're going to see lawsuits um, aimed at these executives and the boards of these companies. So initially it was conservatives generating these boycotts, but now has it expanded to include other groups? Yes. What he said was it's expanded to include just everybody, even people who wouldn't sit there and say, you know, I'm a conservative, I'm, I'm going to boycott this. He said it's really reached the point to where just mainstream America, everybody is realizing this stuff is being, you know, shoved down their throats and they're tired of it. And it is ironic because ESG is said to have the ability to attract investment and that includes their stakeholders, which includes customers, but now we're seeing it's having the opposite effect. Can you tell us more about what America First Legal is concerned about when it comes to Target selling these LGBT-themed products? Yes. Well, America First um, actually, you know, is representing the um, Scott Shepherds group. And what they're trying to do is the first step is to get the documentation from these companies. They put them on notice. They want to see their internal documents. And they've also said that Target knows that this is not something that is good for business. And yet the executives and the board continue to do this. So therefore, you know, they want to see what kind of internal documents have been generated concerning this, because it's obviously not good for the stockholders. It may be good for the stakeholders, as ESG calls it but not for the stockholders who are actually losing money. 
that bottom line is really important and it's definitely a questionable business decision to say the least considering Target's base is mostly made up of families and speaking of families studies show that children who grow up with two gay parents experience more social and emotional problems. So Darlene what's next in this revolution that you expect to see coming? I think that you're going to see if conservatives and people in general can uh, continue to um, boycott these different companies uh, for prolonged periods and it really impacts their bottom line like these two company examples I think you're going to see more people move away from it because right now the boards and the executives are basically you know I always wondered why would you do this why would you want to do this when you know it's hurting your company you would think that would be bad for your business and you would stop doing it well what I found was that these these executives and their boards are basically propped up by ESG companies like uh, BlackRock and they kind of control these boards because they have so much invested in these companies and up until now you know they could say well it really didn't hurt that much we're looking out for you in the long term because you know ESG is good for the long term well now these boycotts have proved it is not good for the long term so and we have seen some huge hits to the market capitalization of Target and Anheuser-Busch. Darlene Sanchez, reporter for the Epic Times, it's great hearing from you. Thank you so much. Moving on to former actor Bill Cosby, who is facing fresh legal troubles. Nine women yesterday filed a sexual assault lawsuit in Nevada, accusing him of using his enormous power, fame, and prestige to victimize them. They said they were individually drugged and assaulted between approximately 1979 and 1992. The lawsuit came only a few weeks after Nevada passed a bill that eliminated a two-year deadline for adults to file sexual abuse cases. One woman alleged that Cosby, claiming to be her acting mentor, lured her from her New York to Nevada where he drugged her in a hotel room and then raped her. The former Cosby Show star has now been accused of rape, sexual assault, and sexual harassment by more than 60 women. He has denied all allegations involving sex crimes. He spent nearly three years at a state prison near Philadelphia before a higher court threw out the conviction and released him in 2021. And coming up, a top Canadian executive resigns from a China-led bank. He says Communist Party hacks are dominating the enterprise. What does the suspected Chinese spy base in Cuba look like? We'll take you to the site that U.S. officials have previously flagged when we return. Good to have you back with us. The State Department yesterday played down expectations of any breakthrough ahead of Anthony Blinken's visit to Beijing this weekend. It will be the first trip by U.S. Secretary of State to China in five years amid ongoing tensions between the two nations. Intense competition requires intense and tough diplomacy to ensure that competition does not veer into confrontation or conflict, and that's what we intend for this visit. The secretary wants to establish communication channels that are open and empowered to discuss important challenges, address misperceptions, and prevent miscalculation. The announcement followed an intense phone call on Tuesday between Blinken and China's foreign minister, Qin Gang. Qin urged the United States to stop meddling in its affairs and harming its security. Blinken is set to become the highest-ranking government official to visit China since President Biden took office. 
He postponed a February trip after a suspected Chinese spy balloon flew over U.S. airspace. Meanwhile, Biden is dispatching White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan to Tokyo this week for talks with his counterparts from Japan, the Philippines, and South Korea. Washington has stepped up efforts to reinforce alliances in Asia amid an increasingly tense rivalry with China. The State Department walked back a comment that it would invite Hong Kong leader John Lee to the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit. Officials said the invitation letter was an error, adding that no decision has yet been made. Washington slapped a sanction on Lee in 2020 for his role in undermining Hong Kong's autonomy. Several lawmakers urged the State Department to cancel the invitation. They called Lee a human rights violator whose presence would give communist China too much representation at the APEC summit. The summit is set to be held November in San Francisco. Canada is cutting off its ties with the China-led Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, or AIIB. This after a top executive resigned, saying the bank is being controlled by Communist Party hacks. Entity's Daniel Monahan has more on the executive's concerns. The executive is Global Communications Chief Bob Pickard. Pickard took up the role in March 2022. He wrote that resigning was his only choice as a patriotic Canadian. He tweeted, The AIIB is dominated by Communist Party members and also has one of the most toxic cultures imaginable. I don't believe that my country's interests are served by its AIIB membership. Pickard tweeted that, The reality of power in the bank is that it's CCP from start to finish and added that the CCP deals with some board members as useful idiots. Pickard also wrote on social media, I saw with my own eyes the extent to which Communist Party hacks occupy key positions in the bank like an in-house KGB or Gestapo or Stasi. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland reacted to the comments. She says Canada will cease all activities with the bank for the time being, so the government can investigate Pickard's allegations. The AIIB was established by the CCP in 2015. It was billed as an alternative to the American and European-led World Bank and International Monetary Fund. Chinese experts have warned that Beijing's aim is to pivot the world economy toward the communist state and away from the United States. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. With eyes on China's secret spy base in Cuba, what exactly does the eavesdropping facility look like? We take an up-close look at this little-known base, only about 100 miles from Florida. A track deep in the jungle leads to a rusted wire fence with a sign that warns, Keep out, military zone. This is the Cuban village of Bejucal, home to what Washington suspects is a spy post for Beijing. Based on the information we have, the PRC conducted an upgrade of its intelligence collection facilities in Cuba in 2019. The White House didn't respond to questions on whether Bejucal was the venue for the facility, but according to a Federal Communications Commission document from last year, Washington believes this Bejucal base is used to intercept U.S. electronic communications. Seen from afar, all that's visible is a huge enclosed white dome and giant parabolic antennas. Farmers nearby said they were unaware of reports of Chinese spying activities in the area, but added if those were true, they would soon find out. Here, everything is known. Here in Cuba, everything is known. Cubans don't miss anything. The sleepy town of Bejucal has long been a place full of secrets. During the 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis, U.S. spy planes uncovered it as a hideout for Soviet nuclear warheads. I handed over documents when I went there. 
To get in there, you have to have access. That is, there is a badge and you have to have a password. The question of Chinese spying from Cuba burst into view last week. This followed a Wall Street Journal report that Cuba had struck a secret deal allowing China to set up an electronic eavesdropping facility. Both Beijing and Havana dismissed the accusation of a Chinese spy base in Cuba, calling the statement unfounded. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And still to come, the death toll of the migrant ship that capsized and sank near Greece could be in the hundreds, possibly including a hundred children. A UK Parliament report said former Prime Minister Boris Johnson misled lawmakers over parties he held during COVID lockdowns. We'll have more for you shortly when we return. Welcome back. We're going over to Europe. German police said today one of two female tourists attacked by an American man near the world-famous Neuschwanstein Castle in southern Germany has died. Police said a 21-year-old woman died overnight from serious injuries she sustained while her 22-year-old companion was still in the hospital. The woman encountered a 30-year-old American tourist near a bridge, which is popular for its view of the castle. The suspect attacked the 21-year-old, and when the 22-year-old intervened, the man choked her and pushed her down a steep slope. Police said the man attempted to sexually assault the 21-year-old. The suspect was arrested shortly afterwards following a large police operation yesterday afternoon. According to German media reports, both women are also Americans. Neuschwanstein Castle, about 70 miles southwest of Munich, is one of the most popular destinations in Europe. Washington will stand by Kyiv. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin reaffirmed that commitment today. This was at a U.S.-led meeting at NATO headquarters in Brussels. The United States is proud to stand alongside some 50 nations of goodwill to provide Ukraine with the training and the equipment to help it succeed on the battlefield. Defense ministers from a group of about 50 countries attended the meeting. Washington founded the group last year to coordinate Western aid to Ukraine. Austin said the war is a marathon, not a sprint, noting Kyiv needs both short and long-term support. The group has sent air defense systems to the war-torn country, but Austin said Ukraine needs more. The country launched a counteroffensive this month to retake more territory from Russian forces. Meanwhile, over the skies of western Germany, NATO's largest ever air deployment exercise is underway. The scope and scale of this exercise cannot be underestimated. The logistical challenges of trying to connect 18 different countries with hundreds of aircraft over numerous bases to bring air power to a single point in space to achieve a specific objective is, is daunting. And the German Air Force has done, in my opinion, in our opinion, in Vermont, a very professional job. The NATO drills involve over 250 aircraft from 25 countries, including U.S. Air Force F-16 and F-35 fighter jets. The exercise will run until next Friday. A group of senators yesterday wrote a letter to imprisoned Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovich expressing their support. 
The bipartisan group accused the Russian government of using Gershkovich as a political tool. The letter said that every day he spends in a Russian prison is a day too long. Gershkovich, a U.S. citizen, was arrested in March on espionage charges. Russia's security service accused him of collecting military secrets. Gershkovich and his employer deny the charges. He was initially remanded in custody until the end of May, but a court last month extended his detention until the end of August. On Tuesday, the House of Representatives voted unanimously for a resolution calling on Russia to release Gershkovich, as well as fellow detainee, former U.S. Marine Paul Whelan. In Greece, hundreds of migrants, including children, are feared drowned after their ship capsized and sank yesterday as hopes of survivors dwindled. New reports suggest between 400 and 750 people, including about 100 children, had packed the fishing boat that sank about 50 miles off Greece's coast. Greek authorities said 104 survivors had been brought ashore. Greece said the ship began to flounder late on Tuesday night, but people on the vessel's outer deck repeatedly turned down attempted assistance from a Greek Coast Guard boat. The migrants said they wanted to reach Italy. Government sources said chances of retrieving the sunken vessel were remote, as the area of international waters where the incident occurred is one of the Mediterranean's deepest. A UK Parliament report said Boris Johnson deliberately misled lawmakers on several occasions over rule-breaking parties during COVID lockdowns. The former Prime Minister, who resigned from Parliament last month, called the report's findings rubbish. The Lawmakers' Disciplinary Committee said that were Johnson still a lawmaker, it would have recommended a suspension from Parliament for 90 days. It also said he should be denied automatic access to Parliament despite most former prime ministers and former lawmakers are entitled to a pass. The committee also accused him of attempting to intimidate its members. Johnson shot back, repeating his innocence and accusing committee members of waging a vendetta against him. Parliament will consider the committee's recommendation on Monday. The United Kingdom's publicly funded health care system will no longer allow the use of puberty blockers for children except for clinical trials. The National Health Service, or NHS, said that there could be a link between mental health issues and feelings of gender incongruence. It said the primary intervention for children experiencing gender incongruence will be psychological support and intervention. The NHS said that the most appropriate treatment was through an integrated multidisciplinary team approach fully involving the child or young person and their family. The health service published the update as it's implementing advice from an independent review of gender identity services for children and young people. Experts welcomed the NHS's new policy. Britain's Ministry of Defense, or MOD, has signed a deal with Google to use the company's artificial intelligence technology. This will make Google's AI models accessible for UK defense projects. It will include cybersecurity work, disaster response, and speeding up research. Experts have warned AI could become a threat to humanity. An MOD official warned that while caution is needed, their adversaries are also operating in this space. The MOD said they will employ the technology responsibly, and Google has pledged it won't allow its AI software to be used for weaponry. Google has already signed defense-related agreements with the U.S. and other nations. Police in New Zealand have seized a record amount of methamphetamine, which was hidden in maple syrup containers. Officials say the drug bust involved more than 700 kilograms of meth, worth more than $150 million. 
This happened in January as part of an operation that also involved police from Australia and Canada where the drug came from. Officials say six people have been arrested, but they've yet to make a court appearance. And still to come, Seychelles art in Cairo is alive and well. Craftsmen make a variety of pieces to adorn furniture, tables, chessboards, and gift boxes. A Lebanese artisan rediscovers traditional techniques to make decorative tiles. He's helping rebuild following the 2020 blast at the port of Beirut. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. Welcome back. A thousand-year-old craft is still alive in Cairo. Delicate seashell art continues to be sold in the capital city's bazaars and beyond. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details for us. The village of Saket al-Mankadi is known for its inlaid seashell products. The traditional Egyptian craft is delicate and intricate work. Artisans use a wooden tool to place small pieces together. You have to be patient so that you can create the design. A design can take an hour, while another can take a day or even a month. Cutting and designing skills are passed down through the generations. For many seashell artisans, the craft is a large part of their identity. You can say I was born here. I grew up here at my father's workshop. And here I learned all from A to Z. Ahmed Ali cuts the shells into usable pieces for the designers. I am an expert here on this machine. I cut the seashells for the workers in all the different sizes and shapes we need. Seashell furniture, tables, chessboards, and gift boxes are just some of the products available. Cost of production is high. The seashells are brought from around the world from countries like Australia, Oman, and Japan. But the wood is from Egypt. The expensive materials aren't the only factor to take into consideration. The pandemic lull in tourism didn't help the industry. As the world opens up, the craftsmen hope for wider recognition of the craft. This craft is beautiful. I wish that the government and even the governorate would take more interest in it, especially the Manofia governorate, because this industry here is considered a treasure in this governorate. You will not find anything like this anywhere in Egypt except here in our village. The process begins with carpentry to create the structure of the piece. Now we use seashells in everything, starting from the bedroom, dining rooms, to mosques and pulpits. It's used in everything. Craft seashell works are sold in Cairo's bazaars. Some are also made to order for customers in Saudi Arabia, Dubai, France and Germany. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Beirut is slowly rebuilding after an explosion at their port in 2020. To help preserve their cultural heritage, a local artist is replicating traditional tiles. Entity's Andrew Thomas has the details. The tile industry came to Lebanon in the mid-18th century and filled traditional Lebanese homes with colorful patterns on their floors. Ghassan Fayad founded Blat El Atik, a small tile factory in 2017. Since we started and until now, the demand is on the rise. And it is really good. People are leaving ceramics that were trendy and going back to the tiles that were in our grandparents' homes. Because it is not only tiles, but the tiles also carry feelings. There is something unique about them that you can't find in modern ceramics. 
In 2020, an accidental blast at the port of Beirut killed nearly 220 people, injured over 6,000, and caused widespread damage. Two years later, the city is rebuilding, and people are requesting the traditional tiles that once filled Lebanese homes. We will go on. There is no other way. We worked on reviving this industry so hard. It took a lot of effort and time to work on this product that existed in the past but stopped at a certain point. This period is very difficult. It is hard. We will keep on going and will not stop. Fayad's work now consists of making replicas of the tiles damaged during the blast. One of his clients is the oldest chocolate factory in Lebanon. Another is a building complex a few streets away. Blot El Atik managed to nearly replicate the pattern of the old tiles. After Beirut's port blast, we sadly worked on a lot of restoration projects. We are still working on projects to restore old homes that were damaged. We are mostly making tiles identical to the old ones. We are creating new molds based on the old pattern. Rebuilding after the 2020 explosion isn't the only challenge for Lebanon. The country continues to struggle with soaring gasoline, electricity, and food prices. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Still to come, we ask, is there a way to cut long hospital waiting lists? A London hospital says the answer lies in surgical robots. Get those details when we come back. Welcome back. We have some public health news for you. A hospital in London is performing kidney surgery with robots. Doctors say surgical robots are key to cutting hospital waiting lists. This robot called Hugo is a new member of the team at the Guy's and St. Thomas's Hospital in London. The middle one is the camera, and then the, the left and the right one would be a, a pair of scissors. He's performing its first kidney surgery, but this is not the first time robots have been used in UK hospitals. The country's National Health Service System, or NHS, has been using robots for nearly two decades. A robot vision professor demonstrates how Hugo operates on a red bell pepper. Of course, I'll need to put on my glasses so that I can see everything in 3D. It's very much like um, using your wrists, but inside the body. I can be very deliberate with my actions uh, and hopefully preserve as much of the healthy tissue as possible. It's the surgeon that's in control of, of all of the actions. Over 7 million people in the UK are currently waiting for treatment under the NHS system. As the waiting lists increase, unless we have more access to this kind of instrumentation, we can't do our job. If we have the same capacity as we did before the pandemic, we are just going to fail. Doctors are hoping their surgical robots will help free up beds at a faster pace. What an application for tech. Black pepper is often referred to as the king of spices due to its phenomenal health properties. To tell us more about it, here's Entity's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. Black pepper is often referred to as the king of spices. It's a popular culinary spice known for its distinct pungent flavor. Black pepper is an important health food that may help prevent and control tumor growth. It may also improve gastrointestinal health due to its antioxidant and antibacterial properties. Pepper originated in India where it has been cultivated for thousands of years. 
It was introduced to the West during the reign of Alexander the Great in the 4th century BC. In ancient times, pepper was considered a precious commodity. It was used as a form of currency for taxation and tribute. It even served as a universal medium of exchange, similar to how gold did. Black pepper contains nutrients such as magnesium, vitamin K, iron, and fiber. Aim for black pepper rather than white as it contains more polyphenols and higher antioxidant and free radical scavenging activities. Pepper available in the grocery store can be classified into pepper powder and pepper corn. Pepper powder is more convenient, but its active ingredients tend to slowly break down and evaporate over time. Aim to purchase black peppercorns and grind them into pepper flakes as needed for a fresher taste. Let's look at two ways to consume pepper and enjoy the medicinal benefits. Start with a honey and pepper water. To treat colds, crush some black pepper and mix it with raw honey and hot water. Another easy recipe is potatoes with black pepper. Simply peel and steam one medium-sized potato. Add a few splashes of milk, a pinch of salt and a knob of butter. Mash it into a puree, plate it and add a small amount of crushed black pepper before serving. And we're wrapping up the program with some space exploration coverage. NASA has released an artistic interpretation of a Mars landscape. It's made from images captured by its Curiosity Mars rover. The images were taken as the rover ascended the foothills of a three-mile-high mountain located in the Gale Crater. It used its black-and-white navigation cameras to take the shots. Two series of five individual images were captured over seven and a half minutes. Both series were taken on April 8th at different times of the day, one in the morning and one in the afternoon. Once received on Earth, the images were combined to create two black-and-white panoramic photographs. Color was then added. The Curiosity rover has been on Mars for quite some time. It landed in the Gale Crater in August of 2012, and it's still exploring the planet. And that's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.